you're turning your Bibles to Joshua chapter 23. We're going to continue working our way through this series, and we're almost there. We're almost to the end, and, and I've brought this up the past number of weeks. The people that are participating in the Luke study are going, man, we flew through Joshua. We're not flying through Luke. And that's okay. I invite you to join us as we uh, continue moving into Luke. And uh, on Thursday nights, uh, we're at this place now where Jesus is now in Jerusalem. And and we know things happen, big things happen in Jerusalem. And I was tempted earlier this week as things continue to get increasingly more chaotic. I was tempted to simply say, you know what, I'm moving away from this Joshua passage. I'm moving away from this this series that we're doing in Joshua right now. But it struck me, and I was struck quite hard about this. This entire book that we've been walking through is so timely for today. It's been timely this entire last few months that we've been walking our way through Joshua. And we come to this place now where, where Joshua, and we'll see this in, in, the, in this passage, where Joshua realizes that it's almost done. His time is almost over. And we've been talking about courageous hope all this series, the courage that we need to care for one another, the courage we need to confront one another, the courage to do this, the courage to be the people that God has called us to be. And today we talk about the courage to finish well. Because finishing well, you'll notice throughout Scripture, does not happen very often, especially in the Old Testament. And we'll talk about that in a little while. But we're talking about having courage to finish well. We pick this up in Joshua chapter 23, looking at verse 14. Joshua is saying these words. Now I am about to go the way of all the earth. You know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises Yahweh your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. But just as all the good things Yahweh your God has promised you have come to you, so he will bring on you all the evil things he has threatened until Yahweh your God has destroyed you from this good land he has given you. If you violate the covenant of Yahweh your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, Yahweh's anger will burn against you and you will quickly perish from the good land he has given you. Father, we pray now as we come into this time of looking at your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit would move in such a way that our eyes would be open to seeing, to seeing the truth of the importance of having courage to finish well. That you would open our, ear, our, our, our ears to hear, to hear this message that we need to finish well. And that you would open our minds to understand what that looks like and that you would open our hearts in such a way that we can then live that out each and every day. Lord Jesus, may no one receive any, may may no one receive any glory except you this morning, and that you would be lifted up, and may no one hear anything I say, but only what it is that you want them to hear and need them to hear. And Lord Jesus, we love you, and we thank you for finishing well. In your name we pray. Amen. Many of you know this uh, about me, my father and I, and that uh, I, over the course of the last number of years, we've grown closer, but growing up, my dad and I were not very close at all, very distant, very distant. And 
There were different phrases and quotes that I thought were original with my dad, but I've come to learn that he was simply using quotes that all types of other dads use as well. And one of those quotes was this, if I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times. Did anybody have a dad ever say that to him? Or perhaps even a mom, right? You got parents that said that very thing. My dad would say this to me quite frequently because I simply wasn't paying attention to what he was trying to get across to me. We were, and I'm not mechanically inclined, he would ask me to help with fix, fix the cars and things like that, and, and I would go out there, and one time we were doing a brake job or something like that, and, and, um, and, I, and he told me to do this one thing, and I'm looking, and I'm like, I have no idea what this is all about, even though it was the last thing, we had already done this a little while ago. And so I did it wrongly, and my dad says, if I've told you once, I've told you a thousand times, this is how you do it. And I looked at him, and I said, all right, what was the one thing that you told me? Because I had had forgotten. But the point is, he would repeat these things, and over time, it eventually sank in with me. What we have here in Joshua chapter 23 is a repetition It's a repetition. There are things being repeated over and over again. If we were to start at verse 1 and go all the way through the end of the chapter, you would notice, wow, there are the same themes coming up in this chapter over and over again. And in the process of this, Joshua had observed plenty in his lifetime. As we're coming to the tail end of Joshua, what I want us to realize is this, is that Joshua is able now to look back and say, God has been incredibly good. Think about this. I was thinking about this earlier. Think about this. Joshua was there when they crossed the Red Sea. Think about that. He's there when they crossed the Red Sea. Joshua's there. He's one of the spies that got to go and spy out the promised land. Ten spies go and spy out the promised land. Eight of them come back with this horrific report that we can't handle this. Joshua and Caleb are the only two that say, Listen, our God's big enough, we can move in. He, he, was, he, was, he was able to not only cross the Red Sea, he was able to spy out the, the promised land, and then he was able to step in and live in the promised land. He had experienced the Israelite people, a fledgling group, now all of a sudden, and through the course of, of those chapters from chapter 12 or 10 in that area all the way up to 19, where, it's, where, he's, where the Israelites now have all this land and they're dividing it up. And by the way, one of you said, because I brought this up last week, I said, if you're interested in, in me preaching a message on the land acquisition chapters in Joshua... I'll talk about it the next time February 29th falls on a Sunday. Well, one of you wrote me a note and said, we have a date. It's 2032. All right, so we'll get to it in 2032. But Joshua is seeing all of this happen. And now he's come to this place where he looks back. And notice what he says. Now I am about to go the way of all the earth. You know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises Yahweh your God gave you has failed. Not one promise. Not one promise has failed. 
And throughout the course of Joshua's book, he constantly brings up promises that are done over and over again. And, and the reason why, part of the reason why is this, is repetition always drives home a point. We, if you're like me, can be slow learners. Repeatedly being told something, eventually things, get some, things sink into our lives. So that seems to be what Joshua's going on at at this particular time. And in this particular chapter, three times Joshua strikes a similar theme. And the theme is this. God is faithful. God is good. God has promises. And if you go a different direction, things are not going to go very well for you. That's the theme repeated over and over again. The reason why repetition is happening here is the Israelites are just like you and I. They have short-term memory issues. They forget things. And here are some of the things that they need to remember. The first is this, that God is good. God is good. I asked you last week if any of you have experienced nothing but smooth sailing in your life. Not a single person raised their hand. wasn't shocking because we know that to be true, that all of us go through difficulties. But it's in the midst of those difficulties where we need reminded God is good. And right now, we need that reminder. So not only did the Israelites need that reminder, but they also, and I, I love this, the way Joshua words this, He says, not one of all the good promises Yahweh your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. God is faithful to carry out his promises. He's faithful to do that. It may look very dim. It may look very grim. It may look very dark. It may look very overcast. But in the midst of it, God is faithful to carry out his promises. He's undefeated. You know I'm I'm a sports fan. I love all types of sports. Right now it's very difficult for me. Because there's no sports on. You know, there's just nothing out there. But here's what I want you to think about. And I'm going to give you a little sports analogy right now. In Major League Baseball, baseball players go into what's called arbitration, okay? And they can't come to an agreement with, their, with the ownership about what they should be paid, and so they enter into this what's called arbitration. And so these players and the owners are, you know, the player and the owner of the team are trying to figure this out. They go to an arbitrator, and here's what fascinates me. That individuals, individuals make contact and get a base hit 30% of the time. That's a 70% fail rate. And yet they're able to renegotiate their contract and get more money. I'm going, wait a second, you fail 70% of the time, but yet you're getting more money. The reason why I bring this up is this. God never goes to arbitration because God's always 100% all the time. Not one promise has failed not one god is 100% right 100% all the time let that sink in 
and especially today, and especially in what's going on in this world today. God is 100% right 100% of the time. And Joshua has a significant advantage here. First off, he witnessed God's, he first he was a firsthand witness to God's track record. He's seen it. I've already told you that. They, he saw them go through the Red Sea. He saw the different battles where God was victorious with them. He, he was able to see the promised land. He was able to divide up all this land. He's able to say, wow, I was there. I was there. I can tell you this. I can tell you it's true that God never fails. First-hand witness to God's work. It got me thinking about this. Christ following is a participation experience, not a spectator experience. So often we want to sit on the sidelines and we want to critique people that are trying and, and, and are making an impact for Jesus Christ. But so often we want to sit on the, on the sidelines, critique them, and the whole time what should be happening is instead of us critiquing them, we should come alongside them and work together to promote God's work. Following after Jesus Christ is never a spectator experience it is a participation experience forgiveness isn't a concept it should be a reality having hope isn't just simply some pipe dream it should be a reality our theme for this year in 2020 which i laid out for you uh, a couple months ago is hope lives right now that hope needs to be living and i confess to you in this last few weeks In my life, it's been living, but I told the Lord this morning in my journal, I said, right now, it's on fumes. But in the midst of being around you this morning, and I told this to the elders, we had a meeting right before this. I told this to the elders, I said, I realize more than anything how much of an extrovert I am. Because you have ministered to me greatly this morning. You introverts are thinking, this is the greatest experience in the world. (laughs) I'm here to tell you, when we witness God's work firsthand, things change. And I want to ask you this question. Has there ever been, has there been a time in recent history when we need to remember God's promises all the more? I would submit to you, no. On a macro scale, on a worldwide scale, I would say there's never been a better time to remember God's promises. Now, originally what I was going to do was I simply was going to rattle off this list for you that we're about to look at. And it's not an exhaustive list of God's promises, but we're going to read God's word. We're going to be doing what I call Bible hopscotch, all right, to look at these promises. So I invite you now to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. And the question is this, what promises do you need reminded of today? So turn to Matthew 28, and we read these words in Matthew 28, verse 20. And teaching them to do everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age, is the promise you need today. His presence. 
The fact that He's not going to bail. He's not going to fail. He's going to be with you. Is that the promise you need today? That His presence is there. Perhaps it might not be His presence, and so I, continue, I, I encourage you to continue turning to the right and go to, go to Philippians chapter 4. Perhaps you understand He's with you. But perhaps right now, today, the promise you need is His peace. Listen to Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts, and notice the next line, and your minds in Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, but my mind can get going quite rapidly. I find myself waking up in the middle of the night thinking about the church, thinking about different people in my life, and then I throw on this whole coronavirus thing. It's, it's, a, it's a cacophony going on in my brain. This I need. I need the promise that God's peace transcends all understanding. I need that in those moments. Perhaps it's a promise. It's His presence. It's His peace. I continue to keep moving a few more pages to the right. Go to 1 John chapter 4. Perhaps what you need is the reminder. The reminder of His power. Listen to this. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. You, dear children, are from God and and have overcome them. Notice this, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. That's a promise. He's not only the God of the entire universe and galaxies and all this kind of stuff in a macro way. He's he's that God, but he is also the God of microbes. He's also the God of, uh, that, that understands all of these things, the intricacy. He's powerful. His power does not have any limits. But perhaps it's not His peace, His presence, His power that, that you need that reminder of. And perhaps you're, just, you're, you're wrecked with wondering, is there any hope out? Not just hope, but is there any love out there? What about his love? I need to be reminded of that. So now instead of going right, go left. Go left. Go to Romans chapter 8. And this arguably is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. Paul is laying out all of these different things about what God's love is all about. And even though I put here 37 to 39, I, I don't. I, we're going to start. We're going to bump it back. We're going to go to verse. Start at verse 34. Listen to this. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Let's stop there for a moment. Right now, God is hearing the prayers of Jesus Christ interceding. For you. People want to think, well, Jesus is done. It's all over with. Jesus right now is interceding for you. For me. He isn't sitting there going, well, it's about time. I, I need to take a nap. He's interceding for you. Let that sink in. 
right now, you and I are on His mind. Verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And then verse 37, he says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Those who have placed their trust in Jesus Christ, Robert Carson, who was baptized today, has placed his trust in Jesus Christ. Nothing will separate God's love for Robert Carson. And nothing will separate God's love from you, from, for you who have placed your trust in Jesus Christ. Nothing. Nothing at all. It's, I, I love this. Look, verse 39. Neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation. That's fascinating. Paul's going through this whole list and he says, in case I forgot anything, nothing else in all of creation. All of creation. So if that's not enough, keep moving left. Go to Matthew chapter 6. Perhaps in light of all that's going on around us, and, and, you, and, and we, see this, we see it on social media and things like this, you know, people in grocery stores going just crazy looking for all these different things. We pick this up in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 to 34, and we'll... We'll look at just the last few verses of that passage. But perhaps the promise you need today is His provision. Verse 33, we'll, look, we'll start there. No, go to verse 31. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom. What does that mean? Seek first His reign in your life, His rule in your life. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Therefore, oh, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus Christ provides. I'm in a text thread with some friends, and, and one of them was, was sharing some information about, I can't believe what's going on in this world today. Aren't you, aren't you worried? And it was at, he, was, he pointed to me, he said, John, aren't you worried about this? He didn't say it to the group, he said to me. And I said, am I worried? I don't know if I'm worried or not. I have concerns. I don't know if, that's the, if I'm just simply being semantics here. But then I said this, I said, in all of my life, I have yet to see Jesus Christ let me down. I've yet to see that happen. And He's not going to let me down now. He provides forgiveness. Now, if I was organized enough, I would have started here in Matthew and had us moving constantly to the right. But now we're going to go zigzag again. You're going to go way back to the right again. You're going to go back to 1 John. Okay? So you're going to go back to 1 John. And perhaps where you are in life right now, 
is you need his forgiveness. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says this, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Perhaps you're here this morning wondering about God's promise of forgiveness. Does it apply to you? When we turn to Him, when we say, Lord, I'm sorry. I agree with you that I have sinned. Forgive me. Jesus Christ's forgiveness covers past, present, and future. It's big. So I ask you to think about that. And perhaps that's the promise you need. And then the last one on this particular short list that I put together, I want you to go way way left. Go way left. Go to Exodus chapter 34. And perhaps this promise, perhaps this promise is the one that all of us need. Let me set the stage for you right now. Moses and God are having a conversation and Moses says, listen, well, I'll just tell you what he says. All right. So, so Moses wants, wants to see God. He wants to see God. We pick it up in verse 1. Not verse 1. Sorry, go to verse 4. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first one and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning as Yahweh had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then Yahweh came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name Yahweh. In verse 6, look at verse 6. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, here's the situation. God is going to pass by Moses. These are not somebody else's words. These are God's words speaking to Moses from the mouth of God himself. Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Perhaps what you need today is the promise of God's reputation. Slow to anger, abounding in love. Yes, there are consequences to our actions or to our sinfulness, which is all the reason why we need the promise of Jesus Christ who came along and said, I love you. Trust in me. You're forgiven. So that's a list. And again, it's not exhaustive. There are plenty of other promises out there. But I got to tell you, you look at this list. It covers an awful lot in our lives right now. Joshua was able, we're now back to Joshua chapter 23. Joshua was able to say, listen folks, I know what I'm talking about because I've seen firsthand how God has come through again and again and again. He is the one, look at, look at this. He says this at the latter part of verse 14. Every promise has been fulfilled, not one has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled, not one has failed. Turn your focus on Him. I need to turn my focus on Him. Because He's 100% right 100% of the time. 
and he won't let us down. But then, because life is life, Joshua continues on, and we pick it up in verse 15. But just, and that word but is very important, but just as all the good things Yahweh your God has promised you have come to you, so he will bring on you all the evil things he has threatened until Yahweh your God has destroyed you from this good land he has given you, and it's, it's contingent upon verse 16, if you violate the covenant of Yahweh our God. We want to focus in on all the good and all the promises that he fulfills, but also God promises that there will be consequences to your actions. The other option is this. Turn away from God and experience the consequences. And what I find interesting in this entire chapter is that the warning is always larger than the blessing. I found that interesting. The blessing is just a verse here or there. But the warning is in bold print. As I was working on the message, it hit me. (laughs) When I was a little kid, my mom would make me make my bed. That sounds horrible, right? She was such a tyrant. But she'd make me make my bed. And one time I was making my bed and that tag that comes with mattresses slides out. And so I started reading the tag And I literally, I kid you not, I have never been so terrified of my life of tearing off that tag. I sat there going, if I tear this off, the federal government, because that's what it says, this is punishable by law, I'm going, oh my gosh. I've completely abandoned the fact that this bed is where I get to sleep and, 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 and enjoy peace and rest. Now I'm looking at this, at this tag going, oh my gosh, what's going on? I never cut off the tag. My point in saying this is this. The warnings in all of our lives are in bold print. We need to pay attention. But instead of being consumed with fear, We need to be consumed with, I'm going to lean on the one who's going to take care of me. Because there's one thing that was true back in Joshua's day that is still true to this very day. It has not changed one bit, and it's this. When we flirt with sin, we never win. When we flirt with sin, we never win. It eats us up. It eats us up. Remember, I've told you that there's a theme that repeats all the way throughout this passage. And in verses 14 to 16, he sort of consolidates all of this. But what I want us to do now is to see where this flirting with sin will take us. We go back to verse 13. He says this, I should start at verse 12. But if you turn away and and ally yourselves with the survivors of these nations that remain among you, and if you intermarry with them and associate with them, then you may be sure that Yahweh your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. Instead, they will become snares and traps for you, whips on your backs and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land which Yahweh your God has given you. The slippery slope always has a painful stop. Whips for your backs, thorns in your eyes. That's not pleasant. And so in the midst of all this, Joshua yearns to finish well. 
And we'll ask Heidi and Jamal and, and Miriam and, and Tracy to come back up as we get ready to, to uh, sing here in just a few moments. But Joshua yearns to finish well. He's laying at this out before the people and saying, trust me, his promises are good. Trust me, he's not going to fail. Trust me, if you decide to go a different way, I want you to know it's going to cause problems. Joshua yearns to finish well. They came up with this line, and I don't know if I heard it from someone. I, I, I would like to say that it's my creation because I think it's really good. But here it is. The way to finish well is to live well before you're finished. The way to finish well is to live well before you're finished. And here's the reality for all of us. We don't know when we're finished. Therefore, we keep going and we keep going. And we fix our eyes not on our situation, but we fix our eyes on the one, Jesus Christ, who took the pain. Those, those things in verse 13 are painful. But Jesus Christ took that pain. He took that pain and continued taking that pain. He went to a cross and he continued taking that pain until he cried out, it is finished. He took that pain so that we can gain what we desperately need. And it's this. Life, life, forgiveness, peace, hope, love, joy. He took the pain so that we could have life. Do you know this Jesus that I talk about every Sunday? And in certain times like today, in the world in which we live, do you know the one who is certain that will never fail, that will always come through. I invite you to know Him this morning. If you have questions, please don't be afraid to ask. But turn to that one, the one who's 100% right, 100% of the time, and never fails. Father, we pray as we reflect on these words, and Lord, I know it's late, but frankly, Lord, you're outside of time, so I don't think it matters to you. You're right here with us right now. You're doing the work that only you can do. And Lord, I pray for every single one of us in this room, in this building, on this campus, in this city, in this state, this nation, this world. I pray that in the midst of this chaos, that people would turn to you, realizing that you are 100% right 100% of the time and that you never fail. How do we know that to be true? It's because all we have to do is look to Jesus who never failed, who took everything this world had. He took it all. Took everything that they threw at him. He took it all. Said it is finished. He went to a tomb. Then on the third day, he rose victoriously. That's how we know that you never fail. May we place our trust in you. May we experience your goodness in so many ways. Lord, hear us now as we sing these couple songs. May you be lifted up and exalted. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite you to stand.